Welcome to episode 148 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brent Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Tim Carino. He's a designer at Facebook working on live videos. Before that, he worked on music. Uh, and before that, a bunch of other different projects. Spoiler alerts. He's going to tell them that anyway. Before we get into the episode, though, we want to thank our sponsors for making this episode possible. First up, Wayno. Wayno is an agency here in San Francisco doing killer work for clients like Dropbox and Google and Airbnb and Red Bull and Reuters and on and on and on. Seriously crazy portfolio. And they're building an incredible team of some of our good friends here in San Francisco and they have an office in New York and in Iceland. And every Friday they host a happy hour here in San Francisco where they bring in amazing designers to just tell their story in front of a small crowd. Uh, and they're sponsoring the show because they want you to come hang out at that. Uh, if you're ever in the Bay Area or San Francisco on a Friday night, uh, you should definitely join. You just follow their Twitter account. They'll tweet out information about tickets. Like 30 people can get in. It's pretty That's small. at U-E-N-O-D-O-T-C-O. Wayno.co spelled out on Twitter. Uh, of course, they're also sponsoring this episode because they just want you to check them out. They're so supportive of everything that we're doing and all they ask is that you go check out their work, get inspired, which is so easy to do. They just relaunched the Boosted Boards website and it's really cool. Uh, it's been blowing up on Dribble, And also they're hiring. Go work for them. They have this amazing track record of hiring the most incredible designers. You should go join the team and level up. So to sum up, if you're in the Bay Area on a Friday evening, come hang out at their happy hour Go check out their website, wayno.co, and get inspired. And if you're looking for a change of pace, join their team. They're hiring. They want you. Uh, go to wayno.co, click the careers link in their header, and tell them that we sent you. Thank you once again to Wayno. Our second sponsor is Skirt. Skirt is a mobile Skirt. app. Skirt is a mobile app that allows you to tap a button and have a car delivered wherever you are. And when you're done, they'll just come pick it up. Imagine never having to go to a rental counter or deal with humans to rent a car you don't have to pay gas fill up fees they'll just come drop a car off you use it and then they grab it when you're done it's pretty rad and they've got all kinds of cars you can get it for whatever kind of purpose you're using so uh whether that's like a corolla to drive to work or a convertible for like a chill ride up the coast or a mercedes for a night out you can totally pick whatever is right for you the point is it's a cool product but that's not really why they're sponsoring they're a venture-backed startup in LA. Uh, they have a really big creative campus. It's like 7,500 square feet. Uh, they just raised a bunch of money and they're hiring designers. They want you to come join them. Uh, they're looking for product and visual designers to work directly with one of their co-founders, who's also a designer and their creative director on big product and brand changes, iterations, and you can have a massive impact on a startup that's doing a really cool thing for car rentals. So startups in general, super broad, generalist tasks you get to get your hands in a lot of pies and just make or break the company honestly it's it's a lot of responsibility but it's an incredible challenge and it's super fun work i'm on my third startup right now brian's done some in the past it's a fucking fun gig if you want to level up we can't recommend it enough that company is skirt spelled s skirt s k-u-r-t uh, if you want to learn more go to spec.fm slash skirt S-K-U-R-T. That'll send you more info about the job. But if you just want to try the product in general, you can grab the mobile app and use the promo code DESIGN20. That'll get you 20 bucks off your first car booking. Thank you once again to Skirt for sponsoring the show. And with that, let's get into episode 148 with Tim Quirino. Uh, we always start our episodes by letting our guests introduce themselves in All their right. own words. Yeah. However you want. It can be anything short, long, descriptive, not descriptive. And- 
As long as you're not using the word bio, because I think I'm allergic to the word bio. What's your Twitter bio? I typically overthink it. Um, I think my Twitter bio says something about me being a product designer at Facebook, something about how much I love pizza and that I wear a lot of black. In, that yes. was a really good intro. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> it's accurate. Now, now how, do you want to do a non-bio intro? A non-bio intro. Wow. No, not really. Cool. <laughs> you are wearing all black. I am wearing all black. So everything that I just said is accurately reflected. And I walked into this this house with like pepperoni stuck in my teeth. So it's not... <laughs> <laughs> on the nose, man. <laughs> it's totally on the nose. Pizza or tacos? Man, I hope there's no video so people can't see the pepperoni. <laughs> I'll just tell them about it. It's cool. No big deal. I think it's better that I talk openly about it than if you were to <laughs> point a camera at my face and, and watch as I try to wriggle my tongue around that tooth um, <laughs> that's the worst feeling it's really it's horrible I, you know i was listening to your podcast on the way up here from work and i got distracted because that's how i realized <laughs> that this thing had been there since like five o'clock which episode um it was stewart's nice tim <laughs> thanks for coming on the show uh what are you working on i'm working on live video on facebook nice how long have you been doing that uh, technically, I've been doing it since February. Um, I'd been working on music for the for the last year or so, and it it shared the same resources with our video team. Um, and so, music inside Facebook, music within Facebook. What's the term for that? What's the product? The product itself is called Music Stories. It's a format that that we developed so that when you paste a link from Spotify or Apple Music you can listen to the thing that your friend shared, mm-hmm. cool. whether it's a song or an album. We should get into that. Story. Or an infinite playlist where you can listen to every song on Spotify that's, for free. You know what? That's a, that's a great idea. Um, you should work at Facebook. You should definitely build products at Facebook. I, I, I don't think you guys understand how, how much I like Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I was just about to say that playlist was a thing that we were leading up to. So the the song being the atomic element that we built everything around this, uh, this idea on um, playlist was definitely on, on the roadmap. Well, we should just keep talking about it then. So sure. maybe quickly, uh, how long have you been at Facebook? Um, I joined Facebook in 2013, but I didn't start until 2014. So about two and a half years. Okay. You don't, you're not counting the year that you actually didn't do work? Because I wouldn't either. I wouldn't count it, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I accepted my offer pretty close to Thanksgiving. It didn't really make sense to move and start right before the holidays. I wanted to wait until after. <laughs> that was literally... The, the Thanksgiving where I got my offer mm-hmm. on like three days before Thanksgiving, we packed up everything and moved <laughs> the day after Thanksgiving to here <laughs> trying to figure everything out before the holidays. <laughs> I can tell you it was a bad idea. Oh, that sounds rough. <laughs> yeah. I think that's exactly what I wanted to avoid. Uh, what did you start on at Facebook? I didn't have an assignment. Um, I was given a few choices and the thing that I chose was to help develop a product that made it easier for a company like Coca-Cola to have an identity on Facebook. It sounds it sounds abstract, but a Coca-Cola is not a person and therefore doesn't Wait, wait, wait. In this country, companies are people. Com- companies, corporations are legally people, but on Facebook you can't have a profile as Coca-Cola because yeah, Bryn. 
because well, Facebook's you, illegal. Then you, you <laughs> got to you know you got to you got to be in every country. You got to have representation in every language, and so one entity doesn't really make sense. Um, I think I don't remember exactly what the number is, but it's in the couple of hundreds. Like Amazon itself has a couple of hundred different pages, and so it's incredibly difficult to manage all of that from one place. And the thing that I was working on was a way to make that easier. Why did you want to work on that? Oh, uh, wow. That's a good question. I worked directly with businesses in Philadelphia in this design agency. So We're about to lose this He wanted line. to combine his multiple identities into one yeah. because he's a spy. Yeah. I want to... Is Jason boring it? I want to get to that in a minute, but we keep going back in time. Multiplicity. Uh, okay. So you worked on business tools. How business long? tools uh, for about a year. Okay. Yeah. I think I was on business identity for about eight months and it it became pretty evident to me that that one of the things that was bringing me satisfaction at work was being a mentor and helping people figure out challenges. So it wasn't just the pushing pixels part. Um, and that put me on, on a pretty fast track to becoming a design manager because that was all about building teams and helping people be better designers. Did you have any history in identity design previously? In branding? Or yeah, like, in general. Like you if know. you're working on a bigger branding project kind of like i know you weren't working directly on I branding but you have to have a strong understanding i definitely did identity work as part of this design agency in philadelphia okay uh what does mentorship mean to you when you say that's what you you found yourself enjoying so i have trouble identifying a lot of mentors growing up but i definitely had one uh photography teacher that helped me understand the trajectory of my career um he also happened to be my high school varsity soccer coach. So, you know, whether it was on the field or in the dark room, he was able to answer a lot of these questions that I had about what should I do with my life? It was definitely not soccer. <laughs> because <laughs> He's like, I'm going to be honest with you, Tim. <laughs> well, this is how it, how it started, right? Like he, he, was a, he was a good teacher, but uh, when he was our soccer coach, I wasn't getting much playtime. I was on the bench most of the time. Full disclosure, I was a terrible soccer player. I did it for Implied the... Implied by being on the bench most <laughs> yeah, of the time. Yeah, <laughs> not, not on the starting No, he was just out. a really good bench warmer. Like, really good. <laughs> that that was the warmest needed, bench ever. Guys, they needed somebody to design t-shirts. It was just <laughs> a way to... No, I'm just kidding. Did you actually? Um, <laughs> I believe it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And I Hired also, a copy of Photoshop, also, that it's, whole It's thing. all about the extra credit when you're in high school, right? Like, mm -hmm. you do what's expected, and then you get the extra credit, but that's... That's all fun when you're a designer and you can actually do those things. Um, That's kind of what you have to do like in your career too, though, right? Like oh, you yeah. do your day job and then you do That's the extra true. credit. That's true. The things that people don't expect you to do, that's what makes a difference. What uh, That what, extra credit side hustle. Hmm. Seriously, though. Everyone has a full-time job, right? They do. Ideally. And, <laughs> Ideally. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people have full-time jobs or they work for themselves and a way to differentiate yourself is to side hustle, ship something out that would not otherwise be expected of you. Yeah. The way? Hmm? Maybe. Huh? Who who has made a, a name for themselves without it being a side hustle? I can't think of anyone. It's a good question. I don't know. Anyways. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what did your soccer coach slash photography teacher say to you that helped you understand your career? career path i don't think it was any one thing i think it was just the encouragement to 
be more generative and just keep making stuff that I wasn't I wasn't getting that advice from everyone else. I mean, I was in I was getting good grades. I was in AP classes and definitely excelling to the point where I could stay in them and be in, you know, the top tier of my class, but that wasn't satisfying work. And I didn't care very much for any of the stuff that was being assigned to us. But what I did care about was when I was presented with a challenge that was open-ended and wasn't exactly sure what shape it was going to take. Um, and the way to figure it out was just to keep doing it. Hmm. And that was something that I found through working with him in his class. So did that come out as photography or something else? It came out as photography. It came out through other art classes, uh, design, printmaking. And it was around that same time I was in this ska band <laughs> nice. Uh, Nailed it. In high school. And I was the lead singer of it. And we needed we needed an identity. So that was the first time I started doing identity work. That was the first time I really touched Photoshop independently of any sort of assignment. Uh, first time I started building websites in Flash. What was the Scott band's name? I think we need to talk about the important <laughs> part of this story, um, well, which is the why. important part of any Scott band is the name because they're always amazing. There's no dodging uh, this I one, mean, buddy. Names are just so overrated. <laughs> I, I just, I'm not sure that we really need to even identify this because it's such, uh, it's a fleeting moment in history. You're, you're wriggling, but uh, <laughs> ser seriously, <laughs> oh man, the ska band was called Ballroom Astronaut. Whoa, it's actually pretty good. Why? I just liked. The imagery. Oh, you named it too. Uh, yeah, I, I helped to name it. I can't take full credit for it because there were six of us. Mm -hmm. But the logo was an astronaut with a bow tie. It's pretty cool. It was striking. <laughs> Did you play instruments too? Um, I was really bad at guitar. I, I attempted to play, yeah. Um, but it was not something that I was doing when we were performing. Gotcha. Just singing. Just singing. Just singing. Yeah. With the air quotes. <laughs> I was dancing. I was jumping around. Um, In an astronaut outfit? It was not an astronaut outfit. This was during my Rufio phase. So I was very colorful, so to speak. Your Rufio phase? Yeah. Hook reference. Hook reference. <laughs> please, <laughs> please explain more. Ooh. Rufio. Yeah. Rufio. Is this Rufio phase in involved me dyeing my hair red. For sure. Red hair, ska band. Did you have tattoos at the time? I didn't, no. No? Too young? I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh -huh. So I think tattoos were not on my radar as something I intentionally wanted to associate myself with. It wasn't until much later that, gotcha. that I got into that. Gotcha. Okay, so you're doing identity work for your ska band. Yeah. Awesome. And sounds like your teacher was supportive of this kind of stuff? He was supportive of all of it. He's yeah. just like, you know, if you have an idea what you kind of want to make it look like take a few steps to get there maybe the first step is identifying um why you're doing it in the first place um and if this is just purely for fun what's making it fun and um what does that look like do you think that that is generally applicable advice to everyone like find what's the reason that you're doing for it and if it's not fun then now i mean in hindsight absolutely it's it's great advice for anything that you're doing you should try to figure out why you're doing it, obviously. And if it's fun, um, why why you're so invested in that yeah. thing. So at that point, did you know you wanted to like, make that a thing you focus on, the, the graphic design side of it, the branding identity side? I think it, that came later. 
Okay. It, it was a means to an end. In order for us to support our antics, we needed to sell merchandise and we needed to come up with cash to record an album. And so we had to sell merch. And you can't sell merch unless you design merch. <laughs> so you're telling me there's an album. Oh, boy. <laughs> but I mean, putting a ballroom in space has costs. You got to fucking... <laughs> <laughs> there's overhead. Absolutely. You need to get NASA involved. Could we... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we could find the album if, if I searched hard enough? That low grav waltz doesn't pay for itself. Oh wow, we um we had a compilation, I believe, and is it was... on the internet? <laughs> uh, is it on Facebook Music uh, Stories? It's not on Spotify or Apple Music. I'll tell you that much. It's on Bandcamp. No, Bandcamp did not exist. <laughs> it was on MP3.com. It was on MySpace. Oh, nice, pure volume. For a little bit. Um, Pure volume. Man. <laughs> I think somebody bootlegged it on YouTube. Whoa. Yeah. I actually went on MySpace for the first time a few weeks ago when I was prepping for my talk at AltConf. And I found <laughs> a bunch of uh, songs I had worked on producing. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Like I can't remember. I can't believe how well I still remember those songs. I haven't listened to them in like eight years. Mm. Yeah. I was nuts. I was so good back then. I was so good. No, I just remembered this, the like <laughs> lyrics to every song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so weird. It's burned in. Yeah. Spend enough hours listening to a song. I guess you're going to do that. Um, at this point, we've drawn a bunch of dots kind of working our way back. <laughs> I think we're going to, let's keep going all the way back and then we'll work our way forwards and fill in the dots. All the way back. So we've gone all the way back to high school. We've talked about this mentorship moment between my photography yep. teacher, who's also my soccer coach. Yep. Um, we'll jump back to that. Uh, where were you before... Uh, well, where did you go to high school? I went to high school in a town called Mount Olive in northern New Jersey. Northern New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. And are you from New Jersey? I'd say that's my hometown. I would identify it as my hometown. But I tell people I'm from Philadelphia because it usually describes my attitude and sensibilities. <laughs> are you saying you're grumpy? <laughs> well, no, no. I'm not it's- saying that I'm grumpy. I'm saying I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When did you make the jump from high school in northern New Jersey to Philadelphia? I knew that at some point I was going to have to prove to my parents that an art degree was going to be worth it. And it seemed like the most sensible opportunity was to apply myself at a design education that could get me employed. Mm -hmm. Drexel was the place that made the most sense for that. What did your parents think? They were fully supportive of that line of thinking. Because I think even they weren't convinced that this was a good idea, but but they 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 liked that I thought about it, and of course they they supported the thing that made me happy and generative and inspired. Yeah. So you did you go there straight after high school? I did. Yeah. Nice. And what did you end up studying? I ended up in the graphic design program. Um, it was extremely traditional, mostly print based. A lot of the topics that we cover in product design, um, human-computer interaction, user-centric thinking, they weren't even close to what we studied. But the fundamentals of typography and composition and color theory, all of that was was fun. Yeah. Um, and it was nice to have that edu- education, that baseline. At that point, did you know what you wanted to do? No way. I wanted to keep freelancing and and it was 
it was an opportunity for me to get better at what I was already doing. And before I even finished college, I already had uh, a freelance uh, company that I'd started. Crazy. How did you start freelancing? Was that in college? It was. It was a means for me to, to create my own stream of income so that I could yeah. increase the level of independence that I had from yeah. my parents. Um, it, it was supporting my lifestyle. It was helping me be somewhat financially independent um, that I could decide to go out with my friends and spend whatever I wanted to. Uh-huh. That feels good. Yeah. Uh, how did you... I'm actually always curious how people get started as a freelancer, like finding clients, picking the kind of work you wanted to do. I think my mistake from the very beginning was not realizing that what I was actually doing was building a company. And with that comes a lot of responsibility and seriousness. I really just wanted to make money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like really tangible amounts of cash so that I could support a lifestyle that I thought was fun and cool. Um, and it wasn't until much later that I realized that I needed more mentorship in that part of my life. Um, I needed other business owners to look up to. I didn't really have any. I just had friends in the music industry, um, which I wouldn't necessarily call small business owners. I mean, I'm talking about management companies in New York and record label owners, and they function very differently from this freelance designer from Philadelphia mm -hmm. who's 18 years old and getting paid 400 bucks to design an e-card for Fallout Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, hey, nice. That's cool. Uh, how long did you do that for and what did it turn into? I did that for probably about five years. Uh, between 2004 and 2009. Okay. How did that sort of evolve? By accident? Like 400 bucks for for a project at the beginning. I mean, and, and I, charged, I charged 400 bucks because I didn't know the value of it. And right. I didn't know how right. long it was going to take me. I said yes because I, I wanted to say yes, not because I knew how to do it. Um, I was Classic making, designer. I was making a lot of those mistakes. Yeah. You, know, you fake it before you make it. Well, how did you, you learn? I taught myself because I had a deadline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I taught myself how to create a music player that was standalone and was reading from some text document uh, pulling from an MP3 file that was on a server. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so you were building stuff too as well. I was because I didn't, I didn't know how to collaborate as much. And, you know, if this was the nature of my business, <laughs> air quotes, at the time, then I wasn't planning ahead and I didn't have the resources to, to hire anyone that knew what they were doing. So I had to figure everything out yeah. by myself. Did you have any sort of like online resource or online mentors? I had a community of other people that were doing the same thing. Okay. Um, online or? In, online, in, yeah. What did that look like? Man, back then it was a pretty small community. So it didn't take long for me to identify who those people were. And sometimes I would message them on AIM if I was feeling brazen and bold. And I was like, hey, um, and I was pretty bad at intros back then too. So it usually was like, sup, I saw you did this Whoa, thing. <laughs> um, could you tell me how you did? <laughs> and it was, it was really bad, but it, sometimes it worked. Yeah. Did people get back to you? Sometimes, sometimes. Only sometimes. I made a few friends from the ones that I actually met in person, um, and actually ended up at the same concerts and shows. It seems like people here pretty open to like the cold 
tweet, the cold email, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't really take off until you meet in person and like have that face to face. It seems to me. I think that interaction is more likely going to take off when your motivations for asking that line of questioning or why you're introducing yourself are much more apparent. And that happens when you're in person, I think, yeah. more often. Um, your body language and, and the way you present yourself and even down to, you know, why you came to an event is part of the pitch. Uh-huh. Um, if I was to walk up to you um, while you were getting coffee at St. Frank's. What is that? St. Frank's is this coffee shop we have at Facebook. Um, and just You would ask, like it. Yeah. But it's called St. Frank's. Why is it called St. Frank's? It's a chain, right? I believe they have a location here in the city. Um, I've never heard of it. It's it's great coffee. Mm-hmm. Huh. It's I definitely think it's one of the only paid it's no on campus. Yeah, yeah, it is no Reve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm so. pretty bad at making my own espressos and cappuccinos, so yeah. it, it's much easier to just go there. <laughs> I'll pay you. <laughs> All right, so you walk up to me at St. Frank's. Yeah, so I walk up to you at St. Frank's and I introduce myself and ask you uh, about this project that you were just working on. My motivations are purely professional because we're in the work setting. You're getting coffee just like I am. And I'm not there to like hunt you down and I'm not there to. Why aren't you there to, to get... hunt him down? Uh, I wouldn't do it at work. You know, if I was there to hunt him down. Coffee's I'd, a good Brian I'd, trap. I do it. I do it in like a dark some valley. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a solid lure. <laughs> hey, Pokemon <laughs> I joke. would ask him over for coffee. <laughs> that wasn't like, a Pokemon hey. joke at all. That's just a word that people use in the English language. What do but, you think about Pokemon Go, Tim? <laughs> by the way, do you know you have an Onyx down the block? <laughs> Wait, shit! <laughs> I oh, hate we got everything. It. We got go, we got go. Can we, can we pause? <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> what were we talking about? The we were intentions. talking about the intentions of of you know your your cold email or questioning, um, wanting to work with somebody or collaborating or having any sort of association with them. If you've never met before. Um, the intentions like are so much more pure when you're in person. So you don't think it works well online? I think it can work. I mean, it's a lot more sensitive to uh, punctuation and grammar, obviously. Uh-huh. And Finish and, everything with a period. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I don't necessarily pay attention to those things in person, but I, I <laughs> definitely try to be as authentic as possible. Your punctuation on this episode was awful. When I read your the vocal, transcription, your verbal punctuation, <laughs> verbal punctuation. When I read the transcription of this, it's going to be terrible writing. Yeah, dude. Well, so it'll many be typos. so terrible that there won't yeah. be any words. No. <laughs> so many typos. There's no narrative. We never got back to the point. There just won't yeah, be any words. We actually don't transcribe these. Sorry, Tim. That's good. Yeah, I prefer that because then I don't have to read it and feel bad about the way that. Yeah, I, I have trouble keeping. A well, line you started of with pepperoni teeth. Yeah, so. and I don't have to feel bad about. Uh, how unlinear this podcast is. I don't think that I need to explain my, my you know, infatuation with salty pork. <laughs> that, mm. I think that it, that speaks for itself. So you freelance for five years. I freelance for five years. It, it taught me a lot of things that I didn't expect to learn. Um, it taught me about the way that you pay taxes as a company in the city of Philadelphia. <laughs> uh-huh. It taught me about how to partner with people and how not to partner with people. It taught me about how people love taking advantage of raw talent when they don't know what they have, but they don't, they can't value themselves the way everyone else values their work or their time. 
Can you explain that one a little more? I mean, I told you before that I charged 400 bucks for an e-card for Fallout Boy. Uh There's a lot of information there. First of all, an e-card is something somewhat of a a technological um, marvel at the time. I'd spent probably close to 18 hours on that thing. Flash. Yeah. Holy shit. (laughs) Flash. Yeah. It was hard for somebody that didn't code. Uh And and I, I sold myself short. Way more often than I than I should have. Wait, which era Fall Boy was this? Uh, take this to your grave. The best album. All right, <laughs> <laughs> I stand by it. Okay, I didn't stutter. Whoa, <laughs> there's a standoff right now. <laughs> Tensions rise. So how? But how did how did you learn from that? Like I, I find I learned even today. It's like how do you place a value on design because it's not always the time you put in right like you know yeah. if it takes 18 hours it doesn't necessarily it started to- with me trying to quantify what the time is worth mm-hmm. and then i started to question what are the things that are valuable in in this line of work because it's it took me a long time to realize that it wasn't just the deliverable that they were paying for it was the level of interaction how responsive was i um if they were calling me at nine o'clock at night i think i would have charged more um, if they expected that level of dedication to that project, um, if that was the only project that I was working on at the time, I would have charged more mm-hmm. or maybe less. I don't know. I mean, these are things that I well, didn't think economics. about. You got to charge more, right? Well, that's that's the thing also is is going through a graphic design program at Drexel, as traditional as it was, you weren't introduced to economics. You weren't introduced, introduced to the um, the marketplace for design out of school, you were kind of trained to be an art director without really knowing how to do art. Do you think that's a flaw of the art and design education program system? I don't want to point fingers at the entire education system, sure. but It'd I, be hard to point I wanted to, at. I mean, I don't have enough fingers, <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> like this. I only have <laughs> 10 fingers. I think there's is, is a bigger problem than that, um, but I definitely wanted to help. So when, when I was working at uh, Punk Avenue, which is the studio that I was working at before Facebook. When I was at Punk Avenue, I uh, dedicated some of my evening hours to teaching a class on on uh, how to code for designers. And? And that's what got me into... I taught them Flash. I taught them Flash. I taught <laughs> them ActionScript too. Like, were you, were you teaching um, that or were you also teaching how to value the their output. It was like, a very it was a very nuts and bolts class on how okay. to build your own website. Gotcha. It was like, you know, maybe the first project is the obvious one. Here's how to build your portfolio. Mm-hmm. But like beyond that, what are you trying to do? Uh, how are you going to communicate to people what it is that you do and how will you do it? Well, so then how did you learn over time for you freelanced for yourself for 5 yeah. years like from beginning to end? How did you start to learn or well, evaluate we never, your value? We never really covered why I finished or f- stopped freelancing. Yeah. I when it came down to it, I was a pretty bad business owner. And <laughs> I didn't I, learn. <laughs> I, I, I didn't learn right away. And it took me a series of jobs after that to fully realize the things that I should have been doing the whole time. So in hindsight, what do you think? I think in hindsight, it's it's not a mistake to start your own business. I think you should definitely question the motivations behind it, though. My motivations sure at the time not, were pretty shallow. Make sure it's not just to own a business. Yeah. I mean, part of my motivation was being my own boss. 
And as liberating as that is, I, I wasn't fully capable of realizing the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. Because being your own boss also means managing your time. And I was really bad at it. <laughs> There's lots of other implications of being your own boss. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it also meant answering the phones and, and you know, developing the business in a way that could could support you having time to sleep or eat uh-huh. or even just going back to the motivation behind it all was getting money so that I could go out and drink. I lost time to go out and drink. So it was kind of constructive it was ironic (laughs) that the thing that i did so that i could go out was the thing that was keeping me from going out so you fired yourself in a way i fired myself technically i had two different businesses i don't want to name names or like be too specific about exactly who i was working with at the time but one of them was uh what did he do he managed bands he was the guy that that represented artists uh, he was one business partner in the first business that I started. In the second one, it was a business partner that was more about uh, business development and growth, but he lied on paper about his credentials, and I didn't know until two or three years later. Whoa. It was pretty traumatic. I feel like I have a little bit of business ownership PTSD. Like trust issues. Uh, yeah, trust issues is definitely a thing, and... Um, it took me a while to to really understand what went wrong. I think, well, can you share a little more about that? Because, I mean, a business partner is someone you spend time with, you're investing in something together, and then to, like, find out yeah. that they were, I guess, not pure in their intention or something like that. The second time around, it was out of necessity. I needed somebody more business-minded to help me be the administrator. Because administrating the business wasn't, obviously it wasn't bringing me joy and it wasn't the thing that I was good at. And I was hoping that he was the one that was good at it so that I could focus my efforts on actually creating and designing. And it was happening to an extent, but it wasn't, it wasn't working because we didn't trust each other. Well, it sounds like you had good reason to trust each other. Yes. And it ended up being wise to not trust this person. I think it was wise to shut down the operation. Yeah. Advice to to anyone that would have been in your shoes, like looking for business partners be out of necessity, like what yeah. would you do instead? I would have I would have interviewed more people. I would have taken my time instead of being quick to uh to jump in and start building and start creating. I mean, you can if you really think about it, you can create any time. But under the wrong circumstances, it could be pretty damaging. Yeah. Like if we had worked with a bigger client and they had found out that they'd been lied to, for instance, that was that would have not been good. Right. And thankfully that didn't happen. So it ended. Yeah. And what did you do next? What I did next was the first time, for the first time in my career, I applied to a job. <laughs> Were you just um, like done with shit or like what was going on in your head at that time like all right i need to i need to i need to work for someone yeah whatever is willing to hire me i'm gonna take it and uh ended up working as a webmaster for this treadmill (laughs) retailer whoa yeah dude nice um and i did that for two years um i also started reselling video games and 
old movies on eBay to How'd augment that? the income. <laughs> How'd that work out? Not bad. Yeah. I was good at it. Uh -huh. What year was that? 2007. So there's an overlap, right? So as as that that last business was kind of winding down and I realized that this wasn't working out, I had already been applying to jobs. And so I started working at this treadmill company while I was kind of tapering off of uh, my own business. And uh, the selling of video games and DVDs kind of just happened. Just side thing. Just side thing. You had these extra things laying around that you were hoarding. You decide to start selling them and realize you're kind of good at it. So you uh -huh. keep doing it. Was it a relief when you ended up getting the job at this, this treadmill? Initially, company? it was a relief because the guy that hired me was the head of marketing for that company. And he had previously worked with some people that were on the product team at Dreamweaver. Whoa. Dreamweaver. Dude. Dude. It's making a comeback. <laughs> What are you talking about? Dreamweaver just announced a product update that's Wait, coming soon. They're still around. Yeah, holy and that still, doesn't mean it's coming back. There's no, 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 not like they are trying to revive its reputation. Wow. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dreamweaver is a WYSIWYG editor by Macromedia, so I was impressed thoroughly as somebody that was building things in Flash. Um, and so I started working for them, and then he he quit the company like two months later. Oh, so shit. my initial excitement definitely went out the window when he yeah. left. Um, because then I was being managed by the CEO of the company who had no idea what design was and, and what it was used for and how a website even works. But you stuck around doing that for two years? Well, I didn't know any better. What do you mean? I mean, nobody was nobody was kind enough to tell me that maybe you should look for another opportunity. It was also a pretty barren place for tech. Philadelphia now is a rich tech community in terms of the amount of talent and the people that are willing to go out and do things uh, on their own. 10 but, years ago. But back then, I would say 2007 is not a time for tech to be um, effective in Philadelphia. Well, what was that like for you when you were... You leave freelancing, you get this job, and then all of a sudden you have a boss that doesn't really understand what you're doing. Is that right? Um, I slacked off. <laughs> I'm going nice. to be honest with you. Not having a mentor or a manager or somebody that cared about what I was doing meant that I wasn't doing much. Um, and it was very hard to find that motivation within myself. So I ended up starting this blog with a really good friend of mine, called Geekadelphia was the name of the blog. It's Nailed it in one. Really very on the nose about what, what its content was. Uh, at the time, I was also a registered stormtrooper. So it was a kind of... Uh, in like the 501st or what? Yeah, dude. Nice. Yeah. Whoa, what? Uh, the 501st Legion? The 501st Legion is a, a fan run costuming organization that's nonprofit that builds the highest quality stormtrooper armor Holy shit. in the world. But they also like visit sick kids at hospitals and stuff. Yeah, we used to do autism marches wow. and we would we do hospital visits and, and you know Darth Vader make appearances and make yeah. make the kids laugh. Okay, so you're a registered stormtrooper. I was. And I needed an outlet to start posting my videos of just like taking the subway as a stormtrooper. Interesting. Um, and so Geekadelphia was born and we realized that it was 
it was directly addressing a need for people in Philadelphia to identify as as sort of nerds and geeks and techies and people in the in the technological field that didn't have an outlet. Um, our content was mostly pop culture based for the first three or four years, um, and then we ended up creating an award show called the Philadelphia Geek Awards much later. And that was a way to give back to the community and recognize people that were contributing to the richness of tech in that in that city. Who is the we? We is Eric Smith, who is now a literary agent. But at the time, he was an editor for a tourism blog called You Wish You Knew, um, Tourism for the City of Philadelphia. Wait, wait, wait. He did Philadelphia Geek Awards. Yeah. And tourism. Yeah. PGA tour yeah i don't know only you man i found that funny oh i see it's a golf joke i I get it i get it do you golf tim no i'm sorry that joke is a little rocky (laughs) i don't sports is a thing that i typically don't do um i you know i'm interested i I watch some yeah yeah. um but i wouldn't say that i sports i wouldn't say that you sports either based on the way you said it i wouldn't say (laughs) sports either uh see i see someone that starts this thing on the side and like yeah. turns it into this cultural thing for an entire city. It became that a cultural feels... thing because we were partnering with the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia. Um, and at the time we we wanted to have a fun black tie affair for every nerd in the city. We thought that would be really ironic and funny. Yeah. Um, because lots of know, tuxedos t-shirts, I imagine. There were a couple, but I was very strict <laughs> about the dress code. I mean, no tuxedo t-shirts. I, I, I was. I made it very clear. Duct tape uh, suits in in the invitation on the website. I was just like, you know, black tie only. It's a black tie affair. We had the red carpet. We had um, because it was at the Academy of Natural Sciences. There were animals involved, and not not in a, a zoo type of way. But there was like a room with butterflies, and so if you were in your cocktail attire, you, you're able to walk around the room and have butterflies land on your shoulder. It was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So, At some point, we had an alligator on the red carpet. This doesn't sound ideal. Have it you, sounds great. Have you done the uh, adult nights at the California one? Oh, I haven't. Over in Golden I've, I've known about them, but yeah. I've definitely been meaning to, to do that. No, uh, the Academy of, wait, what is it? No, it's Museum of Something. At, at Golden Gate Park. Yeah. Um, I haven't done that yet. But fill in the gap for me here. So you, you said like no motivation, no mentors, no nothing. And now all of a sudden you're throwing this black tie event at a museum. The spirit of creating those things is the same exact spirit of starting a ska band in high school. Why do you do these things? Uh, I think for me personally, it, f- it filled a need. Well, bow ties seem to be a thing for you. You're so right. I never, I never made that connection until just now. I never did. Yeah. Ballroom astronaut, uh, astronaut wearing a bow tie and then a black tie affair. Oh, uh, Wow. Life changing. <laughs> I'm glad we've opened your eyes today. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I hope the Academy of Natural Sciences had a space exhibit. <laughs> Academy of Natural Science. That's what I'm talking about. Wow. I'm I'm still reeling from that realization. <laughs> no, take, take the breather, the spirit buddy. of creating those things comes from identifying just a lack of a thing that was that was really important to me in high school. It was very important for me to express myself musically and artistically and I needed more channels to do that and and you know once I was in college and I had that um, going out into the workforce having a career 
somewhat of a career. You know, as a webmaster, you don't really have um, a lot going for you. <laughs> um, I take that back. That was just like, that was terrible. No take backs, dude. No, no. I mean, like <laughs> no having, having no constraints on what you do as a job is actually pretty, pretty great. That, that sort of autonomy is not, uh, it doesn't come by often. I want to make sure I'm understanding this right. It was the pure intention of these side things that made it worthwhile, like made it successful. My intentions when starting Geekadelphia with Eric Smith or starting the Geek Awards was community driven. It was to connect with people that were like us. And then the Geek Awards was a way for us to recognize those people um, and sort of uh, lift them up so that everyone could see, yeah. hey, Dr. Young Moo Kim is doing some crazy stuff. We were highlighting projects that were purely academic or purely journalistic and might have never been in the headlines because they were just too nerdy. Hmm. I think one of my favorite projects, it was a social media movement called Gun Crisis. And it was actually, speaking of current events, I mean, pretty, pretty relevant to today's context. But in 2013, it was a social media movement to, to create awareness about uh, the way we were covering gun control um, situations in in our community. Yeah. How did you approach that? How did I approach what? Talking about gun control issues. Oh, I didn't. I didn't talk about it personally. Oh, we, that's we one were, of the things we you were said. highlighting the people Got that it. were, and uh, that award was meant to say thank you for doing this. How did you change from? Well, I guess first. How how long was it between starting Geekadelphia and the this sort of award thing, this sort of uh, community with the city event? For the first time in my life, I felt more connected to the city than I than I ever did. Yeah, I mean, we were working directly with cultural and academic institutions, whereas before I was attending them. Right. Um, I became complicit with all of the cool things that they were doing, and it felt really great to have that level of connection. That that level of intimacy with the city that is has so much energy that's latent and just wants to burst with expression and and intelligence, but doesn't always have the channels by which they can they can happen. Had that changed you professionally? Like, were you still a webmaster when that happened? When I was organizing and planning the Geek Awards, for example, nobody nobody on the production team was willing to shoulder the burden of all of the branding and identity or even figure out the visual aspects of the entire show. So because we never answered that question in our planning meetings, I kind of had to do it all on my own. So the very first awards were run by a keynote presentation and I was sitting in the front row with this little clicker advancing the slides. Uh -huh. And I think it was like a 200 slide <laughs> deck where <laughs> sometimes it just clicked a little too eagerly and I had to go back. Oh. And um, that was a learning experience. I, I, I learned more about the logistics of producing a show than I ever did because I never had to do that before. Yeah. Were you still working at the treadmill company on the side or had Geekadelphia become like At the time, I had transitioned to working at QVC. QVC. As one of the two multimedia designers. Wow. Doing what kind of work? So I was helping to design their mobile apps. Okay. 
How did you end up there? I, I believe it was uh, a recruiter got in touch with me and wanted to know if I was willing to commute to Westchester and help them build out this this mobile team. But you had to call in the next 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you did it. So I did that. Uh, I was commuting to Westchester, and because I, I had to drive 45 minutes west of the city, it felt nice to have that connection to the city that I was living in. Right. My, my side hustle. How long did you stay there? At QVC? Yeah. I think I stayed there for about two years. Okay. You have you stay at companies a long time, man. Two years was historically the longest I'd ever done anything. So now that I've been at Facebook for two and a half years, it's the longest I'd ever been employed at the same place. Is that scary or does it feel good? I don't think about it in that way. Yeah. Um, it's it not a metric that has its, its own not, value. Yeah, it doesn't... It, there's no relationship between how long I've been at a place and how satisfied I've been with it uh-huh. that I can tell from my experience. I mean, I worked at Punk Ave for two years and it was absolutely the most eye-opening professional experience so far. What do you mean? Um, in a sense that it was the first, it was the first job in my professional career where I had a mentor, like a real mentor. Who was that? Like he was boss? the he was the principal of our company. His name is Jeff Demasi, and he he was he was a extrovert. He was a connector. He he gained energy from talking with other people, and and uh, he was the life of the company. How did he become your mentor? I think it was by default. I mean, the company was so small. We had about twelve people. Yeah, and being the only designer. In a room of 12 people meant that Jeff and I had a lot of conversations about how we wanted to communicate our ideas. Yeah. So how did that change you? I feel like that would be a leveling up experience to sit that close with someone that is invested in you. Well, Jeff was the first person I came into contact with directly at work in a professional capacity that was so invested in building a good business that it changed my way of working. How so? It it made me want to work expressly on things that were good for people. Okay, like providing value. Providing value. Yeah. Uh, providing a clear benefit to to people that need it. So bringing that back to now, how does that correlate to what you do now? So that actually was the main the main reason why I chose to work on business tools when I started working at Facebook. Because I, I recognized that as a segment of the Facebook audience that was extremely underserved at the time compared to the normal consumer experience. I think I think we did a lot for the mobile experience and for consumers of Facebook in general, but weren't really doing much to help businesses until um, until recently, like in the last three or four years. So that was a, a good segue from working with Jeff at Punk Avenue to working at Facebook. And, and it, it held a, a strong moral narrative for me. Um, and then I, I started to get into mentorship and, and design management. And so all these things that I'd encountered along the way led up to those decisions. And now you're working on live video. And now I'm working on live video, which I feel has a very strong purpose in in the way that people communicate everything that's happening right now. Yeah, current events is... Especially right now. Absolutely. Like Facebook Live has changed the conversation in many ways, right? I think it removes doubt from a lot of the conversation. 
when people bring up something that's polarizing, it's easy to agree or it's really easy to disagree. But when you have a video of what's happening in front of you, it does so much more for that conversation. It makes you ask questions that you might not have wanted to ask before. Uh, things that you were potentially uncomfortable with. And maybe now it's very clear that you want to reckon, recognize your own biases. I think given everything that's going on, um, it's becoming incredibly clear how we have a responsibility in the way we design things. Yeah. Especially when you're thinking about live video and uh, at a company like Facebook where you're, you're touching that many people. I'm curious how that maybe changes the way you think about the things that you're building, knowing what could be happening on the other side when someone's holding it in their hand. I've definitely never worked at the same scale as Facebook beforehand. You know, working at a small 12-person company in Philadelphia and having maybe an audience of a few hundred people for every project to a couple million is, is already a huge leap. But it it served me well that before I even started doing that, I was already thinking about why this was useful, right? This, why this provided value in the first place. And I think that holds true for a few hundred people and a few million people. So what is your intention now? Like what's, where does your work come from? I think my work is coming from just wanting to be as transparent as possible. In the product or like you personally? In the way that people communicate. Yeah. Um, the product should be effortless. Like even if it takes a few clicks to go live, it should be something that you can rely on. Like I would love for our product to be so stable that you can stream whatever you want to stream regardless of your internet connection. Maybe, maybe it saves it to your phone. Maybe caches it. Maybe it starts uploading it later. I don't know. There's a whole number of things we can do and are, are trying to do it right now. And um, I just want it to be more reliable so that people can trust that they can communicate exactly what's, ha what's happening in front of them. What about for you personally? I think transparency is interesting and nuanced because this community is really small. Yeah. And most people know most people. <laughs> yeah. And it can be hard to be transparent sometimes, at least maybe for my... Does that make it harder for you to be transparent? I think when you know your audience and know who could see it or who's going to see it. When you say our community, what are you, what are you describing? That's a good question. I guess I mean... Broadly, the design community. Okay. The people who might be listening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Loosely that. The people who might be listening. The, yeah. the 15,000 people who might be listening. Sure. It's not that small of a community. It's I, not... I think... And they don't all know you. <laughs> no, no, no. I think about people who are building products, who are designers, who want yeah. to to be building things digitally. I, I'm not sure if we have many like print designers or anything like that, but people building products for people. I think that when a community is recognizable um, and that you can speak to them on, an, on the same level and everyone knows the context from which you're working, I think it's much easier to be more transparent. Uh, it's, it's a lot, it's absolutely a lot easier to call bullshit on something. Uh -huh. That's true. Um, if everyone is aware 
of of the intentions that they're that they're placing on a product or a system that they're designing, I think we're we're able to design much more responsibly. You kind of caught me off guard earlier when you, you asked what I meant by the community. I'm curious, like, if I were to say to you the design community, what do you think of the design community at large, as it as it applies outside of San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, is what I I would think as our community. Yeah. Okay. I think that's loosely where I am, but yeah, perhaps I'm more constrained into like digital products, right? Yeah, I mean, it's maybe unnecessarily. It's, so. it's easy to say that everyone knows everyone when everyone follows each other on Twitter, right? It it doesn't you, necessarily mean yeah, you, you know quote everyone. know each other. Like um, you, you've talked once or twice on yeah. Twitter, and we kind of know everyone's bios and avatars and what we're actually tweeting, whether it's an onyx down the street. <laughs> Or if it's Black Lives Matter, like we yeah. kind of know where people's heads are at. You know the personality, but, but it's it's difficult to say that we really know them. But when we know where their heads are at, I think it's easier to communicate in a way that they can understand what you're trying to say, and that's why I think it's easier to be transparent. I was pretty blown away. Um, you had a chat with Gabe on his his project, yeah, and it was like the most transparent thing I've ever read published. Online, it was incredibly vulnerable, uh, honest, real. I'm just curious, like, what the feedback's been from that, or like, how how you even get in the headspace to have that level of conversation that's so unfiltered. A lot of that conversation comes from having the intention of um, owning my own mistakes. And knowing that I don't want to repeat uh, this blindness to my own emotional intelligence. Um, does that make sense? Like I, for a long time in my life, either professionally speaking or just personally, I kind of ignored common sense. Like, of course, you should check to see if your business partner actually has these credentials. But I didn't. Because he he displayed like some semblance of uh, uh, talent, uh, and and there were some results yeah. from our partnership, sure. but it wasn't truthful. Um, and in in my past romantic relationships, I I acted out of I don't want to say purely self interest, but I think that I was designed in a way uh, based on my upbringing and the people around me and in successful and unsuccessful relationships, I had an idea of what I thought should happen. And I let that guide my decision making a little too much. And I wasn't critical enough about my own thought. So conversations like that with Gabe, um, that's just a reflection of me applying a sort of design thinking to emotional awareness. Do you think enough people do that? Absolutely not. I think we'd all be better people if we tried to do more of that. Why do you think more people aren't? I think it's easy because you're afraid. Yeah. Uh, it's really nerve wracking to think about the things that can hurt us. Yeah. And one of those big things is just failing at a relationship. It's always going to hurt, but we fail all the time in every aspect. You know, maybe I failed to communicate or enunciate my name to a barista and he says, my name is Kim. Uh-huh. That's a failure. And we can own that because that's an easy one. But like, God, I spent this whole interview thinking your name was Kim. Oh, shit. So, yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's Tim. 
it's so easy to own the small failures and really hard to own the big ones, right? And I think my series of failures professionally have led up to a certain level of success or even just the ability to make better decisions for myself. And I wanted that for the relationships in my life, whether they're platonic or romantic. So even choosing the kind of friends that you have, it applies, right? There's this thing you always hear about negatively uh, referred to as failing upward. Yeah. Isn't that just called learning? I think Isn't that how that works? That's exactly what it is. You have to fail. You get experience. You you learn how not to fail next time. Yeah. Like that's kind of the thing, right? And I think that not not questioning our own vulnerability or not facing our fears is, is why it's so hard for people to connect. Some of my best friendships, some of the most loyal friendships in my life have been because we've told each other what scares us. And if you think about it, how many of your friends are you comfortable enough with that you could tell them everything that scares you? It's tough, right? I think it's tough. It should be if it's really scary. Yeah. So you still have the fear. I think I do, but it, but I can also talk about it now. And that's made a good amount of difference in the type of relationships that I have. Is it just talking about it or? Talking about it is a way of identifying what it is And when you start to explain and and find the edges of that thing, whatever it may be, um, then you can help people understand why you're the way you are. Should we tie this back to a design metaphor? I would love to. (laughs) I would love to do that. Uh, I was (laughs) just writing and articulating and thinking about things. Having the same critical analysis of personal emotional things that you would a project at work, perhaps. Sure. That seems rare. Wow. Well, you have a team on those or you can be a little detached from the problem, right? Like it's hard to get that perspective. Yeah. Well, I can give you a little, uh, a recent example of that. I mean, I work on live video as of right now. Last year I was working on music. A lot of the time in a company as big as Facebook, it's, it's very obvious why we shift our attention to different aspects of the product. But what doesn't really come to light is how somebody feels when their project is deprioritized. I was, always feel good about it, right? I was crushed. I was emotionally just like drained. I was like, this was my baby. This was the thing that I was helping to raise Music. and stand on two legs. And it's not that it wasn't important. And it's not that people didn't appreciate um, the, the work that we were doing. I mean, it was quite the opposite. It was everyone really enjoyed what we were doing. It just wasn't the thing that we were focusing on. And um, I needed to be able to talk about it in order for me to to kind of get in the right mindset to start creating again. Because if I had let that consume me, I don't think that I would have been able to uh, to contribute to this team and the efforts that we're uh, you know, spending on on having something be as responsible as Facebook Live. Well, can I ask then, do you feel the same level of emotional connection to what you're working on now? Or have you I think I needed stopped to, doing that? It wasn't it wasn't immediately aware to me what that emotional connection was. But as I as I started to see how people were using the product, it was obvious that this was incredibly useful. This is a way for everyone 
to be more aware of what's happening around them. I'm just thinking like common advice is to not get emotionally attached to the thing you're building because I, if it I does get canned or if yeah. it does get, uh, where do you fall in that? Because you, you had something that got deprioritized and you said it crushed you. It crushed me, absolutely. But do you still now moving forward? Like I don't regret feeling that way. I don't think that you should try to avoid it. I think that it's okay to be emotionally invested in what you're working on because that's what makes us human, right? Mm-hmm. We we are satisfied and we are happy and excited when a thing launches and it is validation that our efforts were, were worth it all the while. Depending on who you are, depending on what you build, maybe the metrics also determine how good of a person you are, but Whoa. that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how you feel emotionally about the things that you do. I think it's bad advice to not get emotionally invested. Interesting. I think that working on projects that makes you more human should always have an emotional investment. Do you think that there's too much emphasis and rigor put on objective utilitarian solutions? Before, before I answer that question, let me, let me ask you a question. Why do you think people give the advice to not get emotionally attached? Because it hurts when something fails. Well, that's exactly it. So what if it hurts? It's going to hurt either way. Well, you can do it well and then it'll hurt or you can do it poorly and then it'll hurt. <laughs> At some point, you're going to have to reckon with something that hurts. I guess it's like saying, I don't wear a helmet. I don't wear, know. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the advice, I don't know what like that, that truism is. I just think that we're scared of dealing with our feelings and we should deal with them more, more openly, more publicly. Well, wearing a helmet is a smart thing. Let's just be clear on that. <laughs> You're saying use a bomb robot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying it, I think the advice comes from a pure place of like yeah. protection and empathy and mm. and not wanting to see someone hurt. And it seems like I maybe, I, like, I appreciate that. I yeah. do. But maybe um, you would encourage a little more openness to that pain because I don't know. It makes yeah. you better. It made me better. And I think that it would serve other people well to talk about their emotions. Do you write? I write for myself. I don't write publicly. Why not? I'm afraid. Are you going to write publicly? Hmm. Why should I do that? Because you're afraid. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah, I, I probably should. Yeah. I think that's a very common fear. I'll keep an eye out. Cool. Um, we are over time. Right Thanks on. for coming and hanging out. Anything it's you want to plug before you go? Nope. <laughs> Nothing? Nope. <laughs> Okay, fine. (laughs) No plugs for you. No plugs. Thanks so much, Tim. Yeah, thanks, guys. That was episode 148. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Tim for coming and hanging out with us. Super, super fun conversation. Let us know what you think. We're on Twitter, at DesignDetailsFM. If you need more podcasts, we have you covered. If you go to spec.fm, we have a bunch of podcasts aimed Do we have like eight now or something? Eight podcasts for designers and developers helping you level up. Uh, Our latest release is Orthogonal, which is a podcast to help you learn more about business and managing your money. Especially freelancers. Freelancers, how to make more money. Um, Before that, Runtime, which is a podcast with Caleb Davenport and Sam Sofis teaching us all about iOS and Swift. It's very Swifty. Swifty indeed. So if you want more podcasts, go to spec.fm or follow us on Twitter at spec.fm. And of course, be sure to check out our sponsors that made this episode possible. We could not do this without them. Our first sponsor, of course, is Wayno, an agency here in San Francisco with one of the best teams in the world doing 
incredible creative work for companies like Google, Reuters, Airbnb, and most recently, Boosted Boards. You should go check out their work. Uh, their dribble is absolutely taking over the front page with some of the, the new work from Robin and Dan. Their work is absolutely taking over the front page uh, with some of that incredible work, uh, and they want you to join them. They're hiring. If you go to wayno.co, that's U-E-N-O dot C-O, click the careers link in the header, tell them we sent you. If you're looking for a job and want to level up, uh, I can't think of a better place to do it. Second sponsor, Skirt. Skirt. Skirt is a mobile app that lets you tap a button and get a car delivered wherever you are so you can drive wherever you want. They just raised money and they're looking for designers to come join the team and spend time working with their designer co-founder and their creative director to just build the whole product. There's a lot to do. So if you're a mobile product designer or a visual designer and you want to work directly with the co-founder and creative director on huge product and brand changes and iterations and have impact at, at a startup that has a lot of potential, now's the time to do it. If you want to learn more, go to spec.fm slash skirt, spelled S-K-U-R-T. And if you want to try the app beforehand, just download it and use the promo code DESIGN20 and you'll save 20 bucks on your first booking. Thank you once again to Skirt and Wayno for sponsoring the show. We'll see you on Wednesday with Melanie Arujo. When will we get like bionic teeth that are better than these teeth that don't have gaps? Because those are the worst. Mm. Like gaps. Uh, okay. Do perfect you, do we teeth. Just get grills. Perfect teeth, or do imperfect teeth add character? It would doesn't you, matter. Stuff gets stuck in them. Well, why? But would you rather have perfect teeth where they're so perfectly lined? It's I want impossible. a bionic masher. I. I'm afraid of the reality in which everyone's got perfect teeth and can eat whatever they want because that sounds terrifying. What? Yeah. What? Like what what if you just you know, if your teeth were impervious to everything and you could just crush this can and eat whatever's sweet, inside, dude. it'd be pretty <laughs> sick. But I don't think the healthiest just break it down to like the the carbon yeah. particles and just like but what <laughs> about that. what about from an aesthetic point of view? Oh, from a, from like a Hollywood point of view, yeah. purely entertainment value, that would be great. You want perfect teeth? Um, yeah. I mean, you have great teeth. Well, thank you. Um, I have kind of an overbite, but that's great to hear yes, that. I do too. It's cool. Um, 